Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, professor and licensed therapist. I'm Mandy, Professor Kirk's cousin. And I'm Umberto Castaneda. Uh, I have recently taken up a post as an advisor to a local Seattle dating advisor, uh, Mandy. <laughs> and I've been advising her. You've been advising the advisor? Yes, that's correct. All right. Today is a grab bag episode of Random Toughs or Bluffs and stuff about psychology because I have my favorite co-hosts on the podcast today. And Favorite? Are there others? <gasps> what the hell? Well, honestly, I miss you guys when you guys aren't on the podcast because... Did you know we weren't on the podcast? What the hell? We've been cheated on. Apparently there are episodes without You do us. have a poly, polyamorous podcasting... Do you? Do you have an open relationship with other podcast co-hosts? <gasps> I was doing it by myself. Oh, wait. That's are okay. you sure? <laughs> it was just my... I was just by myself. Self-podcast. Man, can we... So oh. <laughs> it was very interesting to talk to Kate Stewart about her open relationship book. Like, it, it really gave me amazing perspective in that to be open to be honest to be frank and real with your partner on what you want and what you need is better than hiding it better than lying to yourself better than lying to somebody else you know better than you know keeping it from them could you imagine being in an open relationship no but i appreciate the premise and that i agree i don't want cheating if you want to go elsewhere and you want me to know about it or you want to go elsewhere and you want to just leave either way it should be out there if it's meant to work out, you'll be able to get through it. Do you have any advice for that advice? I think that you got to measure the honesty and the openness with uh, maybe asking yourself what your long-term goals are with this relationship. Just because you're blunt and quote-unquote open doesn't mean that that will like improve the relationship. Just because you your bluntness might be like, you're fat. You're getting fat. I don't like that you're getting fat. And if that's what you're doing, for example, that might not work to your advantage. Yeah. So um, it's one thing to want to like be honest and open about what you want, but know that that might not that might not be conducive to the long term health of that specific relationship. Okay, tougher bluff. According to a UCLA study, even though newlywed couples predict their marital satisfaction will remain stable or improve. It declined for nearly all of the couples in the study. So again, tougher bluff. According to a study from UCLA, even though newlywed couples predict their marital satisfaction will remain stable or improve, it declined for nearly all couples. Tougher bluff. I think it's probably bluff. I don't think it declined for all couples. Well, I said it declined for nearly all couples. Oh, nearly all couples. Ooh, majority. No, because no, nearly to me would be like 95% or something. So yeah, no. nearly I'm, all I'm usually is like 90-ish. Yeah, yeah. same bluff. Okay. Why? I mean, do you... Th- I, I think I think the stats might be more like maybe for 30% it didn't decline. I still think for a lot of them it probably declined. Okay, but, but not, not... almost all. <laughs> uh, newlyweds, I'll go with that's bluff, that they're all happier. What? That's bluffy bluff. <laughs> it's tough. The study wow. at UCLA... Yeah, I figured it was. I was just trying to be optimistic. I see. With 502 newlywed couples, nearly all couples predicted that their marital satisfaction would remain stable or improve, hmm. yet researchers found that it declined among nearly all of the couples. Wow. So not only are you know the vast majority of couples thinking, boy, our marriage is, is great now, and it's only going to get better, or it's only going to stay great, but when they actually study people after a while... Uh, their marriage is actually less satisfactory to, to both people. What, what culture was this? Was this in the U.S.? UCLA. If I were making hypotheses, right, I'd be like, all right, 
marriage, marriage is uh, highly, highly publicized as a positive and life-changing for the better kind of thing from the time you're almost born, right? You see it in movies. You see it contextually in your family. Even if you're, by the way, even if your parents are getting divorced, whatever, all you hear is like, one day I'll, you know, I'll go married. And then you see the princess and the prince and all these things. So that's number one. Number two, if there's religious uh, connotations, I think that there's also this kind of sense of like, oh, this is ordained by my religion or my God or whatever. So uh, it can't be bad. Like It certainly can't go bad because of that. Um, so I think maybe those things contribute to an overly heightened uh, uh, expectation about it. And as you know, when you go watch a movie and you've seen a preview and, and you've been told that the thing is the best thing since sliced bread, it's not hard to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of movies, I saw Prisoners last night. Prisoners? It's so good. Prisoners. It's oh, wait. Was who's in it? Wolverine. <gasps> Paul oh, Dano. right. Jake Gyllenhaal. With the, the guy, the daughter, the kidnapping, the thing. Yeah. Never heard stuff. of it. Oh, it's so intense. I'd probably barf. I, it's, it's, I was on the edge of the edge of the edge oh, of my no. seat from 10 minutes in until the very end. It is super oh, intense. I want to see it. I had to go pee so bad, but I didn't want to miss anything. And usually I'll just get up and leave to go right. to pee. But, but you were a prisoner in your seat. Ironically, the name actually refers to a lot of people being in metaphorical prisons. So did yeah. you did you go pee in your pants or did you use a little bottle? Or? Naturally, yeah. Naturally. <laughs> so this study at UCLA is another reason for marital therapy. I mean, as a marital therapist, this, this study says, hey, people... If you don't want your marriage to go down the tubes, start going to marital therapy early. Uh, often people go to marital therapy after they have already gone through a n- number of months or years where things have been horrible and the, the relationship is, is basically destroyed and they're almost going to divorce and then they mm-hmm. expect marital therapy to somehow cure it. Sure. But a lot of people also will go to marital therapy as a maintenance technique or when things are only getting a little bit bad. And that usually has better results in my experience. But yeah, I, f- I, find, I find this interesting that a lot of people think, oh, you know, we're getting married, so it's going to be great. And then a majority of the people report that their marital satisfaction goes down. And how much after the fact was it? Does it say? I don't remember. Newlyweds, you give them what, a year? At least. Two years, maybe? Yeah, probably one or two years. Maybe longer. Two days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it just, it's sort of discouraging, right? It's its like, wow, you know, so marriage is supposed to be great. Does this mean that people shouldn't get married? I wouldn't go that far. But I think, you know, it just points to how when you're with someone for a long period of time, you kind of have an up and down uh, cycle regarding how excited you are about that person. Right. And you tend to have more excitement for that person earlier on, which is probably more associated with when you first get married, you know. I also think that when you get married, you're kind of in the foxhole together. You're you're fighting against the the cake maker and the vendors and you're in the in-laws and you're, you're, you're planning things. And often I find that couples kind of come together. Sometimes they don't, but mm-hmm. sometimes they kind of come together and, and they have to do a lot together and depend on each other. And there's a lot of romance, obviously involved in, in weddings, hopefully. And, um, that can't be sustained. Right. So no. you can't get married every year. Right. Well, maybe you can. <laughs> right. That might be a huge industry that could pop up to be like, Remarry. make your, <laughs> 
be as fresh as your wedding day. Remember that love just like it was the first day of your marriage. Right. Every year. Do you ever get that not-so-fresh marriage feeling? <laughs> well, give us a call at marriagedouche.com. Marriagedouche.com. Okay, tougher buff. Uh, Newlywed women who believe their marriages will improve over time show the steepest declines in marital satisfaction. Tougher bluff. Newlywed women who believe their marriages will improve over time as opposed to just thinking it's going to stay the same, right? So optimistic women about the future, about their marriage, show the steepest declines in marital satisfaction. So that, so if you ask a woman, how excited, you know, do you think your marriage is going to improve at the time of the wedding? They're like, oh, definitely. Our relationship is going to get better from this point forward. They're the most likely to report that their marriage sucks after a couple years. What Tougher bluff, what do you think? Tough. I'm going to go actually bluff for the following reason. Yeah. I think if they had children in those years, maybe that could be tough. But if they didn't have children, I actually think the woman is the less, the more likely to still be a little more optimistic and whatnot. But the guy's the one that's realized that now all of a sudden he he's not having sex with multiple partners. <laughs> but this is just surveying the women. I know. So I'm saying, but but it's saying that they're the li- the most likely. To be dissatisfied. The women, right? yeah. Yeah. I'm saying bluff. Okay. It's tough. <sighs> Same study. The wives with the most optimistic forecast showed the steepest declines in marital satisfaction. Uh, oh. Basically, the way that I interpret this, I, I'm speculating. I might have misunderstood, so, so let me make sure I understood this. This was just between – I see why you clarified. Between women, the ones that were most optimistic were the most dissatisfied. Not that not that women were more dissatisfied than men. Uh, yeah, right. men, oh, men, I'm sorry. Men were not okay, but still, you're still wrong. Still wrong. Yeah, uh, I'm speculating, but my <laughs> my guess is is that it's because if your marriage kind of sucks a little bit right after getting married, you're probably very hopeful that your marriage is going to improve, right? I mean, imagine you're you're in a really great marriage and someone says, do you think it's going to get better? You're going to be like, how can it get any better? If you have problems with your spouse mm. and you think, do you think it's going to get better? Well, you're likely, especially around the time that you're getting married, thinking, yeah. Of I fucking hope so. Right. <laughs> you you kind of need to believe. Otherwise, you're Otherwise, making a humongous... I've made a huge mistake. I've made a huge nice. mistake. <laughs> so uh, you haven't you haven't watched Arrested Development yet. Oh, I'm like six episodes in. I've to seen the new to the new. He hasn't even watched the original. I've seen two episodes, and I like Ever? it. Ever? I like it. Well, there's Get a out. there's an ongoing joke. It. There's an ongoing joke. I think I've made a huge mistake. Okay, I think I've made a huge mistake by not watching it because now I don't get the joke. You definitely, you definitely have. Have. Uh, I so, would. I would. Put a demerit in the guy's column if if I went on a date and Arrested Development inevitably comes up and I'm like, do you like Arrested Development? And they're like, no, or I've never seen it. I'm either like, get on it immediately, or if they said no, I'd be like, mm. if they said they didn't like it, I'd actually throw their whole character into question. I said it. Is American Psycho in your top three movies of all time? No. Then you're out. Out I'm the out. door. See, out. everybody's got their deal breakers. You shouldn't be dating. No, apparently not. Although we could go on a date to see both of those movies back to back. Has oh. any woman ever thought American Psycho was a great movie? Yes. The director. <laughs> that she was a female. Yeah, yeah. Amanda, so you and you I need to have a talk after this. Well, we need to go watch those movies back to back. No. And then you got to tell me that that Arrested movie developed is not better <laughs> or is not worse than My American Psycho. You have a lot of shit to catch up on. <laughs> oh, but I get I am getting sidetracked. For everybody who wants to send us their feedback and tell Umberto that American Psycho may or may not be the best movie ever. <laughs> it's a top three. 
of their top three, perhaps, <laughs> any love matches for Umberto, you could send your emails to contact at psychologyinseattle.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Like us, comment, subscribe, give us your thoughts, send us a message. We really appreciate your feedback. Whoa. <laughs> well, that was Mr. Siri. Apparently, Siri can be Mr. Now, and yeah. Oh, really? There's yeah. a Mr. Siri. Hello, and I got him. Mr. Siri is Mr. now servicing Siri. my iPhone needs. Thank you. Huh. Not Miss Siri? Do they call him Mr. Siri? No, I'm calling him Mr. Siri. What, is, what do they actually call I'm him? I'm Mr. Manager. <laughs> Why does this all remind me of a person? Oh, I'm Mr. No, it's just Manager. Okay. I'm Mr. Manager. Nope. It's just, just Manager. We're just blowing through nap time, aren't we? <laughs> I don't get that either. <laughs> all right. Tougher bluff, y'all. You really need to see Arrested Development. All of you. All of the interwebs. I'll and watch the definitely- movie. Definitely. I mean, you would understand that I'm wearing never nudes right now. They should be way shorter. Yeah. yeah but never, he is. Wa- oh, never God. Nudes. oh, my God. Never nudes. Oh, God. Never nudes. He you is. have to watch it. Okay. I can attest that Kirk is wearing some derivation of never nudes, and it's as gross as Tobias. Oh, okay. I just blew myself. Tobias Funke. <laughs> I just blew myself. All right. Oh, tougher bluff. This is me. Tough or bluff, gents, this may or may not cause you to recoil in terror. Uh-oh. As representatives. Is this, is this ball-related? Uh-oh. Worse. Ooh. Shaft. Shaft-related? It's shaft! It's shaft-related. <laughs> Tough or bluff, a man recently in the news was found to have had to have his penis amputated due to abusing Viagra. Oh, no. Tough or bluff? Uh, uh, yeah. Amputated from, you know that warning when they say if you have an erection that lasts more than four hours, call medical help? Right. Uh. Yeah, I'll say tough because I think if you have too much stagnant blood in any part of of your body, eventually cell death occurs. And if cell death occurs, then you got to cut it off because it's it's getting... You can, you can have gangrene. Cut uh, it out. Umberto's turning kind of green. Bluff, because I'm optimistic that 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 the penis happen. pulled through. <laughs> yes. Well, guys, it's tough. Oh. Do not kid around with Viagra. Here are the facts. <laughs> Did they try mouth to penis? <laughs> There's multiple funny, ironic facts. Not funny. I'm sorry. This guy lost his penis. Oh, However, I shouldn't be making fun. this guy, not young guy, not like a 23-year-old who's like, I love these penis drugs. It's a 66-year-old guy. <laughs> And he'd had a boner for several days. Jesus. Several days. And it was inflamed and had developed gangrene, as you said. Why? He was trying to impress his girlfriend, like most men, trying to be the king of the hill or whatever. No. He was uh, from, is this ironic, but he was from the town of Gigante or Gigantic. What? (laughs) No. Colombia. Is he your uncle? No, he's from Colombia. He's a Colombian guy from what? Gigante. Do you know him? Uh, I yeah, thought this was an April Fool's because I was like, Gigante, penis uh, amputation sounds like a fucking April Fool's. But then we Googled Gigante or Gigante or whatever. And we're like, oh my God, it's a real town in Colombia. Okay, that's unbelievable. Oh my God, Colombian dude, probably related to Umberto. Yeah. You've probably got that gangrene penis gene. <laughs> no, you got to take the drugs to do that. Uh, the American company's drugs, the Viagra. Oh. Just be safe out there. Don't take more than your recommended dose of any prescription drugs. Very good. As a rule, thank you. Very good. If you want to keep your penis. Very good. Too much of a good thing. In studies with animals, it has been shown that fear is innate to all the animals that have been studied, meaning they don't have to learn the fear 
uh, or fear behavior, they will demonstrate the fear without any sort of learning, even even devoid of uh, con- uh, contact with other animals of their of their type. Basically, fear is innate. In all yeah, fear animals. is innate; doesn't have to be learned in every animal that's been tested. Tough. Well, it depends on the kind of fear, because. Certainly with most, shall we say, higher order organisms, fear is a innate biological trait for normal organisms. Like, you know, normal rats have fear. But can you condition organisms to, to have a new fear? Absolutely. You could also maybe even condition them to have less fear. I mean, obviously you can do that too. I'll say bluff just because I think you're messing with something. I'm not entirely messing, but it is a, it is a gray boundary. Oh, it is technically pulled it on bear. No, I didn't. It yes, is technically bluff because it has not, in fact, been demonstrated that fear can be demonstrated in animals without being learned. That's not been demonstrated at all. In fact, the opposite has been shown <laughs> to be true. Have you ever seen an animal before? <laughs> what is he saying? What they're say- what I'm saying is that there there it has not been demonstrated that animals can exhibit fear without learning that fear. That has not been demonstrated. That surprises me because and, and, me too. and, and we go further. Like to a bunny say, in the forest runs from the it, forest. Well the idea with Bird Birdo is saying is young bunnies learn from their parents what to be afraid of. Oh. Uh, n- n- not from their parents. They learn from negative feedback that causes negative reactions like ne- uh, pain or things like they that. They see their brother get caught by the fox and then they learn to have So fear. they have the capacity for the the, the biofeedback of fear. Right. Yeah. But what's interesting, and actually, if, if you stop and think about it, granted, none of this has been proven, right? There's just studies that have been done. If you stop and think about it, you certainly wouldn't want an algorithm where animals, as they're born, they're automatically fear, fearful of whatever. Why not? Because that would inhibit their ability to experiment, learn, all these things, right? Because they would automatically have random fears. But it would also make... I, I, I'm with you, but it would also make them extremely vulnerable to things that they might benefit by having fear of. The studies they have done show that pretty much, including humans, as uh, very young, and granted, some animals are born way more developed than others, right? Uh But if you, uh, in studies with humans, for example, babies don't actually exhibit fears that would save their their life, right? And, but as soon as there is negative reinforcement, like they get pain or they get spanked or, or whatever, they start developing those fears. Uh, so as soon as they start uh, getting negative reinforcement, like pain or they get spanked or whatever, then they start developing those fears for specific uh, things. Right. I, I'm, I'm fully on board with the idea that humans and other animals are socialized to believe certain things, particularly what they're afraid of. Like, for instance, a baby being eventually afraid as they grow up to be afraid of another race, for instance. Mm-hmm. That's certainly a social construction that is, is, is inserted into their brain. So anyway. All right. Tougher bluff. Unhappily married couples are more likely to gain weight. Tougher bluff. Unhappily married couples are more likely to gain weight. Tough. I don't know. It just feels like you'd be like active and wanting to be doing things and having sex and keeping up your appearance for your own happiness and to stay attractive to your mate. Or you just sit and watch TV like besties and eat. I'd say in the U.S., certainly tough. In most of modern society, unhappiness can lead towards uh, what I'll call depression-type symptoms and 
And that seems to a lot of times be things like uh, sedentary, watching too much TV, those kind of things. Right. Kind of isolating. And so. Yeah, that's why I thought. But in fact, it's bluff. Really? Yeah, I was very surprised by this. U.S. researchers tracked 169 newlyweds for four years. They found that the happier a couple was in their relationship, the more weight they gained. Oh, in wow. Con- in contrast, couples who were less satisfied in their relationship tended to gain less T- tended to gain oh. less weight over the course of the study, and here's my idea: right. when you're hap- when you're happily married mm-hmm. and you're in a happy relationship, yep. you're one not necessarily worried about being single, yep. so you're not so worried about keeping slim and attracting and, the yeah. And the other thing is, is when you're happily married, I find that people get excited about food. They'll say, hey, let's have a barbecue or let's go out to eat or let's celebrate our wonderful relationship by going out and eating nachos or something. All right. Tougher bluff. According to a recent study, six simple online writing exercises improved marital quality. According to a recent study with 120 U.S. couples, six simple online writing courses that just took a few minutes each improved the marital quality of those couples tougher bluff many wow really just some simple writing activities um bluff okay. sounds too simple well i guess it depends on what they're writing about i'd say tough uh-huh. yeah it's tough in a two-year study with 120 u.s couples the researchers assigned half the participants to take part in a seven-minute online writing exercise in which three times a year spouses wrote about their most recent disagreement after two years the marital quality improved for those couples who wrote while marital quality did not improve for the couples who did not write so this is interesting to me because so the over the span of two years they just had them write six different times for seven minutes so six different seven minute writing sessions over the span of two years improved marriages and i I just find that to be very interesting that's a good bang for the buck man right that's crazy and i think that this points to how in our culture and maybe other cultures but since i'm an american (laughs) i understand what the culture is here people don't often reflect very meaningfully on their life or on their relationship. And because of that, I think there are some opportunities lost. All right. Uh, We'd really love it if you could review us on iTunes. It's been a while since we had any shout-outs, good or bad, so that'd be great. Um, That's a really awesome way for us to know if you like us. Uh, We still have a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. You could let us know there. Um, Don't tweet us because we don't have Twitter. That's right. Sticking pretty true on that. We're just not that hip. Although I was contemplating starting a Twitter again. I had one, and then I just thought, why am I doing this? But I thought about starting one again, but I I don't know. Doesn't it just take, like, constant, like, you got to think of shit to say? I don't know. It seems like there are a lot of people who have them and really like them. I was researching about fugu today. Sure. Hence my Facebook post about, like, does anyone know where I could get some fugu in the city? I don't think it's... What's fugu? It's a puffer fish. Oh. It's poisonous. The deadly one from the Homer Simpson episode might be uh, when you when you eat raw fugu, it has a chemical or compound in it that numbs your nervous system, and if you and it and it's weird, and they they serve it. So here's a, so here's a full story. Have you eaten it? No, but okay. I've seen it served, and when it's served, it they serve it so fresh. They take the puffer fish and they, in Japan anyway, they serve it so fresh that the muscle is still twitching. And when you put, oh. it, and when you put it on your tongue, it makes your 
tongue a little numb. That's what I keep hearing. But if the sushi chef cuts it in a wrong way, it will include part of the fish that is poisonous and potentially lethal. They have to hmm. be licensed. Whenever you get fugu, you're rolling the dice. Really? It's really that dangerous. I could die. You could die. Wow, that's a great marketing tactic. I want to eat it. I want to yeah. eat it. And then people are like, oh, I might die today. I mean, I don't want to die. Studio 54 effect. You know, you, you don't want this. You, you might die if you eat this. From what I understand, it's not that great of sushi. My coworker's going to Hawaii tomorrow to swim with sharks. She is facing death. She's crossing that off her list. If I ate fugu, I'd be like, fuck yeah. Fugu, off the bucket list. I live to tell about it. Although I don't believe any place in Seattle serves it. And there are some people who are in the know on sushi, and they didn't seem to know of any. Well, Ryan said, who was on the podcast a, a number of years ago, actually. He knows things all said, Japanese. You know? Yeah, he said that, that Mr. Tuna, or what's it called in, in Bellevue? Anyway. No, he said it. he looked and they didn't have it. And then the place oh. Shiki in Lower Queen Anne, also their website did not list it. Oh. So maybe it's an off-menu offering. You think it's really expensive? Weird. I think that it's probably expensive, and it probably doesn't get asked for very often, so they probably don't They have it it in San Francisco. Why don't you just, like, order some yellowtail and sprinkle some arsenic on top? Yeah. Roll the dice. Yeah. (laughs) All right. According to the ADAA, Anxiety and Depression Association of America, a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder in children six or younger can include the following. Witnessing the events as they occur to others including events witnessed in electronic media like television, movies, or pictures. I'll say that's tough. So they're basically saying that kids under six, they can be diagnosed as suffering from PTSD just from having watched, quote-unquote, traumatic events on TV or movies or even pictures. Okay, I'll go with tough. Sure. Kids are impressionable. I don't know. Bluff. In in their specific uh, definitions, they actually call it out as not including events witnessed only in electronic media, television, movies, or pictures. In other words, they exclude those types of witnessing of events. But I actually feel like there probably needs more to be more research around that because I can certainly imagine that a four-year-old watching some of the modern super violent movies or video games could in fact suffer something like PTSD. Right. But in this case, this association explicitly uh, calls it out as not including the, that, those effects. Tougher bluff. The older couples get, the less likely they are to change the subject when in conflict. So as a way of coping with the conflict. So tougher bluff. The older that couples get as they age the less likely they are to change the subject when in conflict. Mm. Bluff, we'll say, the more likely they are. Actually, I'll go tough on this one. You know, you're young and you get upset and you don't kind of fully have it grasped in your head. So you're like, well, but you also didn't do the dishes or whatever, right? Right. You get older, you're like, listen, all I'm saying is you didn't mow the lawn. Right. <laughs> There's two different things that I thought of when I when I read this. And one is, is that, when you're in a conflict and you change the subject, it's sort of an immature thing to do, right? So you would think that yeah. older people wouldn't do that. But on, a, on the other hand, it's actually a good coping skill for couples mm. to have when they're going down a road that is not productive, right? Oh, interesting. So it is bluff. Oh. Uh, a San Francisco State University study with 127 couples over 13 years, so pretty robust study here. This study videotaped the couples discussing contentious topics for 15 minutes. As couples aged, they were more likely to change the subject or divert attention from the conflict. Mm. The findings are in line with other studies that have shown that people seek less conflict in later life stages. So the, the older we get, 
we try to uh, avoid conflict. You know, that's what the oh, research wow. suggests. And I would say that it probably helps to some extent. Now, should we always change the subject whenever we get in conflict? Absolutely not. But it's, it is a viable coping mechanism when particularly couples are going down destructive paths. One person is particularly angry. It, it's, it's like, what's the point in having this conversation? Let's change the topic until we can both cool down and we can come back to it. Or some things just are not worth talking about, hmm. you know, in, in couples. Some things are just like, you know what, this is, we're never going to agree on this. Let's just, let's just not talk about this. For example, I have a couple that I'm treating where the husband is very opinionated about politics and the wife often will try to change his mind because she doesn't agree with him. And in my opinion, due to, you know, data that I've gathered regarding their fighting on this topic, they're never going to agree politically and it doesn't have any bearing on their life. So why do they have to try to hash this out? It mm. usually doesn't turn out very well. So they've actually come to the realization that they sh maybe shouldn't talk about politics very often. All right. Tougher bluff. Pessimistic old people live longer. Tougher bluff. Pessimistic old people live longer. No. Bluff. I think optimistic people. Come on, I'm optimistic. I think I am. And, I like you, to... and you think you're going to live longer. No, I just like to think that positivity is good. Mm -hmm. Putting out the positive vibes for, like, I'm excited for tomorrow. I want to keep going. Not, meh, uh, uh, you know, fuck tomorrow. I hope I don't wake up. <laughs> Me. Right? Like, wake up. Have some pudding. Go for a walk. And that will make you live longer isn't it a, a lot of it's mental like that you want to keep going that you want to be active or be healthy and so i actually i think it's tough optimistic people uh older people live longer i would say it's tough in modern day but i wonder if it was bluff in really really older times where what do you say wait you said I, i'm saying it's t uh well i'm saying that Older optimistic people live longer. Is so that tougher? Bluff. That's bluff. Oh, because you said they don't live longer. Pessimistic oh, okay, people sorry. live longer. Yeah, so I'm saying bluff, but in modern time. And then I kind of am thinking that when we were a lot, lot younger as a species, that it would have been to your advantage to be pessimistic and be like, no, there's probably a bear in that cave. No, there probably won't be food tomorrow, so I better gather more. <laughs> Whereas nowadays, it might be to your disadvantage. <laughs> right. Well, good logic. It's still tough for that reason. Oh, German scientists examined data on current and expected future life satisfaction collected over 10 years from 40,000 people. They found that people who have low expectations for their future happiness experience less disability and die later than those huh. who overestimate their future happiness. The findings suggest that pessimism about the future may encourage people to take more health and safety precautions, hmm. just like you said. Interesting. I know, isn't that weird? All right, last one for today. 45 minutes of exercise a week increases life expectancy by two years. Tougher bluff. 45, just 45 minutes of exercise a week. A week. A week. 45 minutes of exercise a week increases life expectancy by a whole two years. Mandy? Uh, it doesn't sound like very much, but it's more than none. So uh, I'm going to go with puff. I don't know. I'm going to say bluff. It increases by five years. It's tough. Two years. Two years. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm too optimistic. Oh, God. <laughs> You're going to die. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, so before we end t today, uh, I'm going to ask you guys something. Okay. I'm going to spell a last name to you, and I want you to pronounce it the way you, that you think it's pronounced. Okay? So the first one is B-R-E-U-E-R. B-R-E-U-E-R. 
How would you pronounce that? B-R-E-U-E-R. I, I would say brewer. 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 Brewer? Brewer? Even though it's brayer. Yeah, I thought it was brewer because that's the only thing that I could There's think of. There's a lot of vowels. Yeah, but it kind of looks like brewer, plus I'm yeah. familiar with brewer. It's actually broyer. Broyer? Yeah. From where? Yeah. From Germany or Austria. That's, that's got to be killer. Fun. Nobody's getting that right. Well, the thing is, is I think it's Austrian because... What did you say, Breyer? Breuer. 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 Because it's the same spelling E-U in Freud is oi. Oh. So from that part of the world, E-U is pronounced right. oi. I had a whole podcast where I was referring to this guy as Brewer. Someone wrote into me saying, it's not Brewer, it's Breuer. Breuer. And I felt like an idiot. Okay, now, word number two. H-O-R-N, so horn, right? H-O-R-N-E-Y. H-O-R-N-E-Y. How do you pronounce that? Well, I would, would have said horny, but I'll okay. say horne. Horne. Okay. Horn. Why silent? E silent. E and Y are silent. Okay. Well, I thought it was horny because it looks like <laughs> horny to me, but it's actually horny. Horny? Oh, that's bullshit. That's just oh. what people say when they're like, your name looks like it's spelled wiener. It's whiner. Actually, you know what? It's wiener. It's wiener. Oh, really? You're just saying it's whiner so people don't say your last name's wiener. Well, in a couple podcasts, there's a. I was referring to a famous psychoanalyst by the name of Karen Horny, and I was referring to her as horny the entire time. <laughs> and uh, now I feel double dumb because I, I was pronouncing uh, Breuer as Brewer and Horny as Horny. Uh, you feel like a big wiener. I mean, whiner. Yeah. Uh, lis listener Ralph alerted me to this. Thanks, Ralph. And, you know, this is nice because I wish I, that listeners, it, but it, these, these are older episodes, so... Mm -hmm. I feel like I had a booger on my nose, and everyone could time. and everyone oh. could see it, and no one pointed it out to me until Ralph did. So thanks, Ralph. But actually, a colleague of mine listened to the podcast and said, "Oh, I really like that that episode." And but and she said something along the lines of "horn eye," but I couldn't tell what she was saying, and it was sort of an awkward moment. And I thought I was like, "Horn eye, what are, what are you saying?" And and <laughs> she was kind of unsure of herself, I think. But I think she was trying to tell me. I think it's pronounced Horni. <laughs> she tried to tell you about the booger. <laughs> I know. And but you were like, what? Did I get it? Yep. But she yep. wasn't. Nope. She didn't say it's pronounced Horni. She didn't she say didn't that phrase. She was like. Well, she said green thing on your face. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, what? <laughs> so Paul McCartney. We haven't talked about the Paul McCartney show oh yet. Oh, my yeah, God. It was so amazing. It, you Back weren't there. Was there? Were you there? <laughs> yes, we I was were all there. there. We were all there. Actually, in similar I was, seats. I yes. saw him when he left. Like you were oh. ten rows up from me and one section over. Yeah. I thought only cool people went hey. to the show. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty awesome, right? It was oh, awesome, it was man. That guy can fucking rock for hours. No, no. So here's the thing. I didn't want to go. Like I didn't want to go. What? I, I hadn't bought tickets myself because I saw. Look, biggest Beatles fan in the freaking world, right? But. Like, I had seen him seven years ago when he was 64 or whatever. You know, I think, yeah, in fact, I think literally when he was 64. And he had done a great job at the Key Arena. Like, really blew my mind. I was like, wow, this is a fantastic concert. So I thought I'd seen him at his last peak, and I was happy to go on that note. And I thought, now he's 71. I mean, come on. He's not going to sound that great. The show probably is not going to be that great. He's going to play a whole bunch of new songs I'm not going to care about. And he proved every fear yeah. I had wrong. I got a free, uh, not a free ticket, but a buddy of mine had an extra ticket, and he's like, dude, and I, so I couldn't, you know, I didn't say no, because at that point, it's like, well, sure, I'll, I'll come. 
And I'm so glad because I would have missed out on like one of the greatest concerts of my life. It was so freaking yeah. good. Oh, I know. It was, it was way so better good. than I thought it was going to be. He played something like 35 songs, two encores that were like five songs each. How many new songs did he play? He played only one, one new, new song. song. And it was a good song. Yeah, and it was a good song. And with Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic. Remember when... Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis. And he played all new shit. He played all... He only played two or three songs that I recognized. Oh, man. It it was awful. Right. I heard that he toured just after that, like six months after that, and he played <laughs> the entire sport album from beginning to oh, end. Son of a bitch. He learned it's like lesson. when I saw Paul Simon and he didn't play You Can Call Me Al. I know. What the hell? He played some old songs, but a lot of new shit, and I really wanted him to play You Can Call Me Oh, man. I think it's a travesty. I, I think we that. should be able to get our money back yeah. in situations like that. But Give the people you know what, what they want, though. right? Yeah. Give the people what they but so want. Especially if you're spending this. that much money. I mean, if it's 10 bucks. I saw him twice. No calling him Al. Don't call him Al, <laughs> fucker. <laughs> this concert, it was like he had done this weird uh, yoga practice of coming full circle on his life and looking back with honor and honoring his bandmates and honoring his past. And it was beautiful. He played, what was the songs he played that, for John? Uh, the Benefit of Mr. Kite. Mm-hmm. And then he played Something. Something, right? Something, yeah. yeah. Something. something. Uh, he played that song that he wrote for John, John Lennon. Just and beautiful, it was touching moment. Very touching moment, yeah. yeah. And then he and then he played tons of Beatles songs, some of which had never even been performed by him live. I know, it was awesome. Okay, I have a question for you guys. So, have you ever been in a show, like at the Showbox or something, where everyone's standing and you're all crammed in together and, you know, you're up close, and so there's just, there's just people all, all around you. All of a sudden, you smell a fart. Has that ever happened to you? Probably. Yes. But you don't remember it happening? I feel like it happens all the time to me. Oh, I don't, I don't go to shows that often. Oh. I've had it happen. And yeah. And between the pot smell and the fart smell, you can never tell what's what, but yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I can definitely tell the difference, and when I smell it, I'm like, ugh, and you're just, you're just stewing in this, in this fart cloud, right? Well, here's, here's the thing. People, people start looking around, right? Naturally, it's like, oh, people start smelling a fart. They start looking around. Well, I don't want people to think I farted. Even though you did, but sure. Because, because, but so here's the Have thing. Have you ever? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. but I try not to because right. it's like even okay. a little one, even if it's a little smelly, if you got 10 people within like a two foot radius, you're going to bother yes. a lot of individuals. Right. So here's the thing. When people start looking around, they, you know, naturally they're going to look at me as in addition to other people in the area. What's the facial expression that will communicate to people? I definitely didn't <laughs> didn't do it. Is the question. <laughs> stoic, stoic. Look forward, but a Roman statue. To me, that to me that's a dead giveaway. You did it because you're. So then you go like. No, 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 because like it hasn't that? hit you yet. It like hasn't a, hit you yet. Like a and then, smelly, not me. Like a, oh, right. No. So that's the other option is is to go like, oh, what I smell something, and you plug your nose, and then everyone thinks, oh, he smells it too. He thinks it's gross. He must not or have just, done it. Just be like, yeah. Because <laughs> no, you hey, could overdo it. Can you're you like, just do that? Oh my god! Right? Because then terrible. they because then they think you're overcompensating because you're the one who did it. Right. He smelled it, dealt it. The other option is to be stoic and to act like nothing's happening because 
they would think that the fart came from the other direction. Just ignore them and do some hand waving of your own <laughs> bubble. Just fixing your own bubble. Fix that, your bubble. This bothers me. You can <laughs> tell, but I'm not bothering anyone else about it. I'm just getting a little bit of air. And you're not, late. but you're not trying to communicate. No. Outward. So a, a but natural. They will see you from afar and be like, "Yeah, it fucking stinks." Because if you're true. like, "Do you smell? Do you smell that?" Right. Oh God, I'm so glad that wasn't me. <laughs> right. I think it's best to just be like, "I'm bothered, but I'm not gonna make a dip." So, so I, I have a question though. Yeah. Can you transmit diseases like fartily? Are there fartily transmitted diseases? That's a good question because there are poo particles in fart gas. Yeah, definitely. What if you had E. coli or some other... I I feel like we would have heard this already. All right, Manny, a listener wrote in and said he wanted me to play this song for you. Are you serious? (laughs) Are you serious about this request? Uh Uh-huh. And the song? Uh-huh. And you didn't tell me till now? Uh-huh. Okay. Shut up. Oh. <laughs> oh. My, my. <laughs> one hell of an intro. So, so, I'll, so I'll, I'll tell the first lyrics. We just take, oh. take it off. Baby, take it all off. Wait, I'm not going to get to hear it? You will. I want to see you the way you came into the world. Oh. <laughs> With a umbilical cord hanging out. I am blushing. <laughs> I don't want to feel no clothes. I don't want to feel no clothes. Oh, yeah. I don't want to see no panties. <laughs> you want to see my what? No I, panties. I don't want to see no panties. <laughs> and take home that museum, my dear. Museum, <laughs> my dear. And he gone wild. Everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. I'm taking the receiver off the phone. Back in the old days. What's a receiver? Because baby, you and me. This night. We're gonna get it on. We're gonna get it on. To love serenade. Stop it. Don't stop. Okay. <laughs> You're almost there. You're almost there. <laughs> I'll have what she's I having. I'm flattered right now. <laughs> he thought you would like this song. He thought you would like the song because oh. because uh, you liked uh, the floaters. Oh, That's can right. you play me some of that? Ralph. <laughs> Aquarius. No, I'll play something else. Oh, my God. No. I'll, wait, play, I'll play something who, else. Wait, who sang that dirty song right there? Barry White. That's Barry White? Yeah. What's it called? Love Serenade? Love Serenade. He said, so this listener wrote in and was like, yo, I got my jam from Mandy. Love Serenade, Mr. Barry White. Uh, By the way, I love Barry White. Yeah. But I've never heard that. That just sounds dirtier than my average Mm -hmm. Barry White good time pop. Yeah. I'll play a a song for you. Agree. No, I won't float on. Be dead. Lemmy is not sexy. Yeah, Richard Gere. All right. No, that float does on, it. float on. Next episode. God damn it. That does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us. Please take care of yourself. Woo! Thanks for Bye. the musical shout out. Send me some more. <laughs> Imagine you pick up the phone, hello, and that's all you hear. It's like, hey, girl. Hey, girl. I'm taking the phone I'm off the phone off the hook. You're like, oh, they can say, I don't want to see no pain. Slight different context, and it could be freaky as fuck. <laughs> hey, girl. I don't want to see no panties. <laughs> don't ruin this for me. Don't make it icky. I can see you. <laughs> Everybody's gone now. Come on, that, that shit is. 
on. I need I need to hear more of that. <laughs> Can song. you imagine if, if you change the the tone slightly? Hey girl, <laughs> I don't want to see no panties. 